I am getting married two weeks later, and then um, we're going to be in Wisconsin for the summer and hopefully Germany from there. Uh, my name is Nick Adams. I've been coming here for three and a half-ish years, and after this I'm going to Indiana. I'm Ben. I think I've been here for three or three and a half years, and I'm going to be staying in Rapid for the time being. I don't know what I'm doing after. We'll see. <laughs> I'm Emily. Uh, I've been here a long time. <laughs> um, and uh, I will be here over the summer, and uh, then from there, who knows? <laughs> I'm Audrey. I've been here for about three years, three years in August. So, yeah, um, after graduation, I will be working in Rapid for the summer, and then, yeah, hopefully a master's degree internationally, but we'll see. So I might be here for another year, might be here till August, so we're, we're still figuring that out. We want her to get accepted in her master's program, but maybe some of us are pregnant. <laughs> uh, I'm Luke Steffens, I've been going here for just under a year now, and I'll be going up to Fargo and working remote from there. I am Hunter, so my plans are to go and look for a job, possibly repairing medical equipment. My hope is to be somewhere in Casper, Wyoming. Awesome. So that's really exciting, you guys. So then we have to ask, and a few of you can share this, is what is one of your best memories from being part of Comic Ground Church here? Um, any one of you can share that. And then how can we be praying for you in this next season? Is there anything specific that we can pray for? So a few of you can, can answer those questions. Easter at Common Ground, and it was just a huge blessing to hear everybody worshiping and see them 
really participating and celebrating together in the resurrection. So, yeah, that's my pleasure. Uh, I think for me, probably the biggest thing is, I know a lot of you were here in uh, December and January uh, when I had my seizure and broke my shoulder. Um, I think it was just really cool because uh, I've always, when I grew up, I always attended larger churches where, you know, there were maybe even thousands of people uh, there on one Sunday. Um, so I've never had a smaller community like this rally around me in prayer like that. Um, so that was just really encouraging to have that. And, you know, people that I don't even, I don't even know your names coming up to me and just letting me know that you're praying for me. That's just been really cool. I've just loved that. Um, I think that kind of relates to how you could be praying for me because uh, I don't, I'm going to be going to Fargo, like I said, and I don't know anybody there. Uh, I'm going to be living alone, no roommates to take care of me if something happens again. <laughs> uh, so it's a little scary, um, but yeah, I'm just praying that I'll be able to find a support circle, find a good church soon, uh, and just have people to rally around me like all of you have. Thank you for that. One of my uh, favorite memories from this church is the potlucks, just because it's a good time to meet everyone, and there's food. <laughs> um, and one thing you'd be praying for me is just that uh, God would lead me in this next season of my life and direct me where I need to go, wherever that is. And one of you was going to answer this question for the rest of you, but if you could just share, what is one thing that you learned about Jesus in your time here? What's just like one thing that you would encapsulate your time here at Common Ground that you have learned about Jesus? I think that he's the one with the plan and not me. And I think that speaks for the rest of us because I think we've all like had a plan at one point. Like this is what I'm doing, this is my goal, and then that just doesn't happen, and then there's all these crazy things that go on. So I think just learning to Trust him and follow where he leads, even if that's like, you're going this way. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's something that I've struggled with a lot in my life because I like to know what the plan is. But for the past like two years of my life, there really hasn't been a set plan. And I used to freak out a lot about that. And that was kind of my new normal. And just like, it's helped me learn to be really in communication with him about what's happening. And I think that's, um, one of the biggest things I've learned about Jesus is that he has a plan, um, and I don't need to know the whole step, just the next step in front of my feet. He's the light to my feet, not to the entire road. <laughs> um, so that's the one thing, and then the fact that following him requires complete surrender. Um, so you have to surrender whatever plan you think you have, and whatever, um, like, presuppositions you have, whatever assumptions you made, whatever things you're like hoping he won't notice that you can bring with you. He's like, no, you gotta put that down. So the, the complete surrender of yourself, your sin, and all of your um, presuppositions is the other thing. So following where he leads, um, surrendering all of that, and all of that happens because he is the most loving and his plan is going to be the best thing for you, whether you think so or not. Um, he is so loving, but in that love, it's a very demanding kind of love. Like it's the easiest demanding because he asks us to put down our sin, take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. So yeah, I think that's kind of what, what I've learned about, about Jesus through this season of my life. So awesome. I see a lot of nodding heads over here. You can really experience that. And then uh, 
uh, one of you volunteered to be then the, the spokesperson. Um, the final words from this class, 2023, what would you like to say to Common Ground Church as you head out? And I guess I, I didn't, you know, prepare you guys too well to, you know, make sure that the person who is going to make the final words, you know, might, you know, really restrain himself and make sure he's <laughs> and careful, but nonetheless, we're going to trust you. Yeah, the rest of you guys look really concerned right now. No. Um, yeah, so like I said earlier, I've been coming to Common Ground for five years. When I first got to Rapid City, I knew it was important to me to find a church home. And I went to almost a dozen churches before I settled on Common Ground, so no one can say I didn't do my research. <laughs> um, but this is the place that felt most like home, and what did it for me was the prayer time that I'm currently replacing. Um, <laughs> because I can tell that this was a community that looked after each other and covered each other in prayer. Over my five years here, I've gone from an 18-year-old like looking up at all these grown adults, like, wow, they must be so wise in life. And now I'm 23, and I'm friends with all of you guys, and I think a little better now. Maybe you're not. You guys still have lots of wisdom to share. Um, but you guys have never shied away from pouring into me or any of us. Um, there's been meal trains for the people who just had kids or been hurt um, as we lifted up the Paragos and their struggles. Um, with the new additions to our community lately, you guys have just been always leaning into community, leaning into support. Um, like, I think if we charted the volunteer hours per person, like our church would be just be blowing the chart off the scale. You guys are so awesome. And it's not uh, really the most convicting thing to come up here and be like, you guys are awesome, but sometimes you guys are just doing a good job and you need to know it. So good job, Common Ground. No. You guys are great. You guys are family. I love you all. Thanks for that. Thing. Thank you. And let that be an encouragement um, to the rest of you and, and another encouragement to really value and to pour into the students that we have here because we don't usually get them forever. Um, oftentimes we have them for a few years. We have the chance to pour into them, to equip them, to serve them, and we often have to say goodbye. But I think one of the things that I'm always encouraged by as we see them go off is just mature, spirit-empowered leaders that are sent out of this place, knowing that even though we don't get to maybe reap the fruit of their lives and all that God does in their lives for very long, that they're going out um, and impacting the kingdom and impacting the world. And so I love and hate what we do here, where we have to say goodbye to so many of you um, at this time of year. Um, I love it because just the memories and seeing all that you guys do and just being reminded of how you as a church family um, love on college students. Um, but then also knowing that they're going away and they're going to be impacting, they're going to be loving on a family um, somewhere else, especially because this group here in particular, they have carried a lot of weight in this place. They've done a lot of work. They've done a lot of service. And I just am excited for whatever church families out there. I'm going to get to call them uh, one of their own. And so it's at this time that I'm going to invite you. Um, as Luke said, we're replacing prayer time with this right now. But hopefully you wrote down some of the things that you can pray for for these these guys up here so you can continue to pray for them but another reminder is that since we didn't have our time to share we do have these cards over next to the giving booth if you would like prayer for anything specific um, please fill out a card and then you can put it in the giving box there and we can make sure that we rally around you and that we pray for you um, but at this time we're going to pray for these guys as they now transition to this next season of life and so i'm going to invite you to stand and would you um
um, just extend a hand. Maybe some of you feel comfortable from coming up and laying a hand on one of these seniors. Um, so you're welcome to come on up and to place a hand on them. And for the rest of you, where you're at, you can just extend a hand as a physical representation of the spiritual reality that's taking place now, where we're commissioning them. We are putting our approval on this group. We are praying that God would go with and that the Spirit would go with as they go and they serve wherever. And we're just going to pray and we're going to commission these guys. Um, not just seeing it as us losing uh, our good friends, but seeing it as missionaries, as servants who are going out um, to serve God's church. And so would you bow your heads as we pray and as we send these guys up here. So Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for Micah, for Luke, for Nick, Ben, Emily, Audrey, for Luke, and for Hunter. Just for the work that you've done in and through them in this place. We just take a step back and we remember the, the young graduate students um, when they came here and we just praise you for being a God who transforms and works in and through them during this time. We just thank you that we get to be the beneficiaries of your spirit in and through them. Uh, we get to be the beneficiaries of their friendship, of, of their wisdom, of their service. And we thank you. We just thank you. We ask now as, as they go, would you be the God who continues to remind them that you go with them? Would you continue to remind them, as Audrey has been learning, that you are the God who has the plan, that you are the God who, maybe you don't show us every single step, but you call us in steps of faith to follow you one step at a time. So would you remind this group of that? Would you give them the faith to follow through even when it's uncertain? And we pray that you would give direction for some of these who, they don't know quite what you hold for them in the next season of life. Would you give direction? Would you open a door? Would you open a pathway? Would you remind them that wherever they go, that they can go with their hand in yours as you go with them and as you go before them? You would fill them with courage, fill them with purpose as they now serve you in a new setting. And God, we just pray for this group that you'd be preparing church families all around in, in Wyoming and North Dakota and Indiana, that you'd be preparing families to welcome them in, to serve them, to feed them, to be alongside them, to disciple them. Would you be preparing families in which the growth that you have begun now would just accelerate exponentially over the next season? We praise you for the growth that, that you've made in their lives leading up to this point, just making them look more like Jesus. We trust you that work you began will be faithful to finish, and so we pray for the churches that they'll end up in. You'd be equipping them to serve this group, make them faithful, fully devoted followers of you. And Jesus, as they go, they're going to encounter new people in new settings. We just ask that your spirit would be at work in them to be just agents of the gospel. That they be witnesses to the faith that they have. And that there would be people who know you because of their interactions with this group up here. We just pray for those individuals. We pray that you would empower this group now as we commission them to be witnesses of the gospel. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We just send this group out with our approval, asking that you would go with them. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this group. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Give you a minute to return your seats. And again, we just, uh, man, we love, we love our students, especially this group. And, we are reminded 
usually have um, to love on them. And so there are a few of you freshmen and sophomores in here that uh, the church um, be aware of, um, wake up to, um, serve and pour into, and really value the time because three years might seem like a lot when you are plugging into school, but it really goes by quickly. So especially for us old people, um, that time just seems to fly by. And so I'd encourage you take advantage of that time uh, that we do have with our students. And now um, we're going to transition into our teaching time, and today we are starting a new series. Um, we're starting a brand new series this morning that we are calling Dear Friends and Fellow Workers. Um, we're going to spend all summer long in the books of Philemon, Titus, and Jude. So I'm really excited for this, um, because this series is really continuing on from what we just talked about last week in Romans chapter 16, where Paul ended the book of Romans, this deep theological work, with really a call to see church as family, not see church as an event or as a building, but to see church as a list of people, as a group of relationships. And so that's what this series is going to be all about, is seeing church for what it truly is. And if you think back to the last few teaching series and, and books of the Bible that we've gone through, over the fall and the winter, we went through the story of Abraham, the life of Abraham from Genesis, and we looked at the call to grow in faith and just kind of understanding the basics of what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. And then we went through a fun little series uh, of the most obscure parts of the Bible and how the next step in growing in faith is to know how to see God revealed in his word. And now this is essentially kind of the next step after that, where those of us who are in a relationship with God, faith in him, we know how to learn, we know the scriptures, we know how to approach him. Well, this next step is a call to see ourselves and to see our place in God's church rightly, to see God's church rightly. This is a call to see ourselves in here as friends and as fellow workers, um, that we here must really embrace the beauty and the challenge of church. And these three books that we're going to be spending our time in are essentially addressing those things. We're going to start in the book of Philemon today. Philemon is a unique, funny little book. Um, it's addressing a very, let's say, awkward leadership situation in the church, but also just has so much depth into what the church is supposed to be like. Uh, and then we're going to look at the book of Titus for a long amount of time. It's by far the longest book of these three. And if you know much about Titus, then you know that Titus was sent to the island of Crete to plant churches and to raise up elders in those churches. And Crete was kind of known as not, you know, the most moral place in the world. It was kind of full of pirates and sailors, and they were described often as just lazy drunkards. But yet, Titus was installing leaders, elders in those churches. And then the book of Jude is kind of like a spiritual spanking to a church that had gone like way off the rails. And so Jude is, is helping out. He's getting them back onto sound doctrine. And so we're going to learn from these books. Um, we're going to go through each one of these unique books that continue to paint this picture of the church as beautiful, but it's challenging. And our great high and holy calling, the love God's body. Uh, so today, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. Uh, kind of hard to find in your paper Bibles because it's so thin and so small there. Um, but the book of Philemon, it's really all about restoration, about the restoration that we have in Jesus and how that should play out into our relationships in church. It's all about forgiveness, the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus, and so we are to forgive others, and repentance, how we are to repent and turn from our sins with God, and we are to do those same things in relationship for one another. And we're going to do that um, over the course of four weeks, and we're going to also just look at kind of the three perspectives there of the book of Philemon, because there are three char 
characters in the book that really give us three perspectives on those main topics, and that's the Apostle Paul, there's Onesimus, who we're going to see here, and then there's the guy Philemon, and their unique things that they teach us here. But today we're going to look at Paul. We're going to look from the perspective of Paul. Now we're going to see this instruction in this interesting little book, how he instructs Philemon to welcome and to love Onesimus. Um, he says you should do it out of delight, not out of duty. And he offers to take that on himself, to take the payment on himself. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks for doing that. Um, but this little book, it's really unique. It's really short. And it's not like any of Paul's other books or other letters where he'll, you know, give all of this theological teaching or maybe he'll give a lot of practical advice on here's what to do. Um, but the book of Philemon, it's more like a little personal letter written to a specific person. And we're getting a glimpse into a story. We're getting a glimpse into an event that took place in the early church. And this glimpse of that story really shows us, I think, Jesus' vision for church is to be like. And so it's interesting that the book of Philemon is actually the only thing that Paul wrote in the New Testament that does not mention the cross or the resurrection at all. Every single one of those books, he mentions the cross, mentions the resurrection. And we don't see that explicitly. As we go through this, you're going to see it's definitely there. Jesus' payment is definitely there. This new life is definitely there. And it was N.T. Wright, who is one of the most influential living New Testament scholars today, um, he said this about the book of Philemon, which is just 25 verses long. He said, if the entire library of Scripture was lost forever except the book of Philemon, we would still know without a doubt something of unrivaled significance happened in the first century. Does this picture we see, how relationships are changed, the gospel. See that something must have happened to the book of Philemon to And the reason it's so significant, as we're going to see, is that while so many of Paul's other letters teach theology and they preach the gospel to us, Philemon doesn't do that explicitly, but it does that through the examples. It does that, and it shows us what our theology, what the gospel does to real life, to real relationships, to real individuals in church, and it shows how Jesus' cross really birthed a new humanity, changed us. And so, we're going to look at that book. Um, again, like I said, it's a story, um, and it's the story of, of a slave named Onesimus. Um, and Onesimus was owned by a Christian man named Philemon, and likely um, because of mistreatment or just the hopeless reality that is Roman slavery, Onesimus runs away from Philemon, finds his way to Paul, and then, in conversation with Paul, Paul actually sends him back to Philemon and shows us one of the, I think, the most beautiful pictures of restoration and gospel change life that we could imagine. So here, we're going to look at that story here. And a bit of context on the book of Philemon is the story doesn't have a lot of details of what's going on in it, but because of some of the names mentioned, um, we know that Philemon lived in the city of Colossae, and this letter was actually, um, historically, they teach us that it was connected to the book of Colossians. And so when the book of Colossians was sent to the church at Colossae, most scholars are pretty sure that this little letter to Philemon was stapled to the back, a little P.S. to go along with it, because the church at Colossae likely was meeting in Philemon's home. So this is Philemon wealthy, important person in the church, and he gets a special little note from the Apostle Paul here about it. And 
And so we really have to understand the book of Philemon in the context of the book of Colossians. Because what Paul had just taught everyone is all the beauty of the gospel in Colossians. And the book of Colossians really, it doesn't have a whole lot of like hard to swallow teachings in it. It's like one of the most compelling, one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus we have in the New Testament. It's Paul saying over and over again that, that Jesus is supreme overall, but yet he's so compassionate. And that Jesus gives us the power to, to slay and to put to death our evil ways. And it's just this beautiful picture of how Jesus changes our lives and how we can treat one another in light of that. And it's in Colossians chapter 3 that we see what Paul was teaching these people um, before they were to read the letter to Philemon, where Paul taught in Colossians that here, which is in the church, he says there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds all together in perfect unity. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called peace. This is like the beautiful teaching that the church received. This is what Paul was teaching. And so you can view the book of Colossians essentially like that's your theology, that's your teaching, that's your time in school. Now the book of Philemon is your first job. Um, the book of Philemon is your co-op. The book of Philemon is the chance to actually live this out. Paul just taught all of that. And now the book of Philemon, Paul says, okay, now here is where the rubber meets the road. If you believe this, if you believe that Jesus affects our lives in this way, then this instruction in Philemon is actually your chance to live it out. Chance to show that you understand that you're putting your faith in Jesus. That's not just head knowledge. So as we read this letter, I want you to you know, put yourself in the setting. Imagine in that church in Colossae what reading this letter would have been like. Because you would have been meeting in the property of a wealthy neighbor named Philemon. And you heard that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to your church. He wrote a letter to the church. And so the community is gathered together. They're so excited. They're so ready to hear this teaching. And then as you gather and you hear the envoy Tychicus reads through Colossians and you hear chapter after chapter of the goodness of God and the beauty of Christ, and afterwards, the church in Colossae is just so encouraged. They know we're not crazy. We're not alone. Jesus powers us. He saved us. And it's beautiful. It's this great thing. But then just before everybody shuffles out to the exit, Tychicus says, well, actually, I have one more letter. I have one more thing to read. And it's specifically for Philemon. But the fact that we have it now seems to indicate it was also for everyone else. Tychicus would have opened up that letter, and then these words are going to be read. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend, our fellow worker. This is whose house church is meeting. And also to Acphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you, 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that, he might, was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit to you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Uh, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you as an answer to your prayers. And Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. So this letter is read. By Lehman standing there, I imagine at that time Onesimus shuffles into the room, wondering what on earth is going to happen. But imagine the mood in the room um, when this letter is read out to everyone in the church. Right? I imagine everyone has their eyes on Philemon, wondering what is he going to do? Like, you have to obey Paul, right? This is the Paul. But Onesimus is probably just eyes down thinking, what's going to happen? Why am I here? This probably was a bad idea. And I imagine Philemon, what do you think he was going through? Knowing what he's supposed to do, what he should do, but he's still fuming, still angry, still knows what he's allowed to do. He reads this. So we don't actually know how this story plays out. We don't know how it ends. Um, but I do believe that because this letter has been preserved, um, it's obviously been passed around to a lot of churches in that area and copied and eventually saved so that we could have it in our New Testaments. And that seems to imply that the recipients obeyed it, right? I think. Um, like, I think it'd be really tragic if, you know, we were to talk to the church in Colossae and everybody who had the book of Colossians and like, hey, so what happened with Onesimus and Philemon? And they're like, well, you know, uh, he beat up Onesimus and sold him to somebody else because he just didn't think Paul's letter was inspiring enough. Um, and I don't think they would have like saved and preserved the letter if that was the response. So I really do think, because it's been preserved, I think what Paul appealed to happened. I think the Holy Spirit did change Philemon's heart and lead him to doing this. 
And we don't know for certain how it played out, but it was uh, some of the letters of Ignatius written between 110 and 150 AD. He mentions a man named Onesimus, who was a former slave and then became a bishop or like the pastor of a bunch of pastors in the area of Ephesus. And so some think it could have been the same guy. It was a really common name at the time, though, and that's kind of a common story that pastors would end up, or I mean that slaves would end up being pastors or bishops. And so we can't know for sure, but it's the same guy. But I do believe that what Paul asked for took place just because of the fact that this has been saved and valued so much. Because the gospel really does change how relationships work. And within the church, this is the vision. Um, in the face of one of the most nastiest types of relationships there can be, in the face of someone being wronged, someone else being wronged, and just a complete stalemate, what I think we see here is just how changed our lives can be because of Christ. Just the instruction to us to treat one another as Christ showed us. And so let me just fill in the blanks there because that story just kind of gives us a lot to work with and we don't quite look, know what we're looking at. But to fill in the blanks here, what Paul is doing is he's making three appeals. His first instruction is welcome and love Onesimus. He says, I'm sending him back to you. So you're going to welcome him. And you're going to love him. And Paul mentions at the very beginning here that he's a prisoner at the time. And so this letter, the letter to Colossians and this letter to Philemon, um, was most likely written while he was in custody. Not in like a typical jail, but he was most likely in a kind of house arrest at this time. As his trial was progressing, he just wasn't allowed to travel anywhere. And so he was stuck in house arrest here. Um, and we're not sure how Onesimus found him. If it was an accident, some think maybe he got arrested too and just stuck next to him. Or he knew where to find him. Um, we're not quite sure. But either way, when Paul met him, Paul, who knew Philemon and seemed to have discipled Philemon personally, that's why he said, you owe me your whole life, right? You know that eternal life thing? I don't know who told you about that for the first time. And Paul here sets this vision to Philemon and to Onesimus of, you guys are Christians now. Here's how we're going to treat one another. Here's how we're going to show our love for one another to the world. And this vision was a complete change slave-master relationship to one of the nastiest relationships humans have ever come up with. Because the slave-master relationship was truly um, not something you would think would get changed, especially in Roman times then. Now, the moral vision of the New Testament makes it very clear there's no room for slavery in the morals of the New Testament. And that's not something that is argued by people who know the Bible. But we do have to recognize that the church was born into a pagan world. It was born into a pagan world that had not yet been changed by the gospel. And so slavery was kind of the basic economic system for just about every culture and nation at the time. Um, when you study any of the cultures at this time period, you're not going to see a bunch of people going around doing whatever they want. Um, you see slaves just about every culture, every place. Um, and it was actually not until the church first banned slavery that we saw it out loud anywhere. Actually, the Catholic Church had banned slavery a thousand years before a single government in the world had ever banned it. So it wasn't until the church started doing these things and showing how love like Jesus, that slavery was just rampant. It was everywhere. And it existed very intensely at the time that the church was first born there in the first century. And so what you would have happening with this new Jesus movement is that you had people in church together, some were masters, owners of slaves, and the people next to you could be slaves themselves. 
You actually have these two groups going and being part of church together. Some estimates are that in the first and second centuries in Rome, that 40% of the population were slaves because they had so many. The high estimates like 60. Um, but essentially what happened with the Roman Empire is that they went out and they conquered so much territory, and everywhere that they conquered, they said, oh, well, you guys are weaker than us. You can do everything we say, or we can get rid of you. And so they were just going throughout the world, collecting people as property and making them slaves. And it really was a very nasty type of slavery in that time. A lot of people will just throw out the term slavery in the Bible. And we've got to know, like, the Bible covers, like, thousands of years and a bunch of different cultures. And so when we think of, like, slavery in the Old Testament, they have these different situations where every seven years, slaves could be freed. And some slaves actually loved their masters, and they would willingly become slaves. Well, here in Rome, the kind of issue that Paul is addressing about human, it was very different. Um, these people were essentially snatched up because they were not able to fight back. So they were snatched up, and the norm was that if they were ever to run away, or they were ever to disobey a master, they'd be punished, tortured, even killed. It was actually legal for a slave owner to kill all of their slaves if once they had run away. It was really intense. And so if they weren't killed, if the slave owner wanted to keep them, they would often brand on their forehead the word fugitive, or they'd be made to wear a collar. All slaves would have this collar put on them. And this one was found, um, they estimate it's from the second century there. And it says, I ran away, detain me. If you return me to my master Zaninus, you will receive payment of one gold coin. This was often put on people. Keep the situation like Onesimus. It was Aristotle who shaped a lot of Roman thought, who said that property is a collection of tools, and a slave is an animate piece of property. That's just the way the culture was at the time. Or it was the historian Pliny the Elder who was writing in the first century. He suggested that you shouldn't even teach slaves how to paint because that's too noble. It's too noble of a thing. You can teach them how to paint. And so slaves at this time had zero human rights. They were not seen as human that philosophers such as Aristotle had taught. They were nothing but property. Nothing but property. They were definitely not to be treated, as Paul said, like a brother even like the apostle himself. That was the norm. And so this is a really dramatic appeal by Paul, just to welcome and love him. Welcome and love Onesimus. And he says, on the basis of love, welcome him no longer as a slave. He says, but better than a slave. Don't welcome him back and not kill him, because that would have been the bare minimum. He says, welcome him as a dear that he's very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother, as a sibling, as a family member in the Lord. And he says in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, and the word there for partner is koinonia, which is one of the words that we translate as church, as fellowship, that if you consider me part of the same body, part of the same faith, that we believe in the same thing, then you're going to welcome him you would welcome me. You'd welcome this runaway slave. You'd welcome the Apostle Paul. One that you were dying to even just get a letter from. The Paul. So Philemon was to treat this person, the lowest member of society, someone who might not have even been viewed as a human, as a brother. And then Paul goes the next step further. No, no, no. Brother is not even good enough. Treat him like you treat me. Treat him like you would treat the Apostle himself. 
Apostle Paul. And I think in that, he's echoing the words of Jesus when he said that whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. You did for me. So this is a dramatic call. This is a really dramatic call by the Apostle Paul to receive him as a brother, to receive him as Paul himself. Um, and it's really interesting. A lot of people wonder, like, well, why didn't Paul just, like, uproot the entire system and just say no slavery at all? Why didn't he do that? Um, and I think one of the reasons that he didn't just make a clear, explicit ban, like just saying, you guys, stop doing this fully, is I think he wants to show how the gospel changes lives, the gospel transforms relationships here, how it can transform the world, actually one individual at a time. If Philemon is going to treat Nisimus, Jesus instructs, that is going to change the world. So this, we know, is what happened in history, that as the gospel began to proliferate and teach people about this redemptive nature of the family of God, that the gospel did start to mess up the system. The gospel did mess up the Roman slave system. Um, and people had to hear for the first time ever that Jesus loves these people you call slaves too. And they need to know about Jesus too. And so people, you know, I think who don't understand the gospel, are like, well, why didn't Paul just outright ban it? Um, Paul didn't say, hey guys, no more of this. But he did say, in multiple different places, he said, you know, uh, especially in like the book of Ephesians, he said, masters are to serve their slaves. Masters are to serve their slaves. He talks about serving within the body. And then he makes that statement. And at the time, for him to make that statement, to teach that in the church, people would have been like, wait, serve slaves, like serve these people? Just treat your slaves in the same way, which is loving one another. They would have been like, wait, 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 so you're saying that they're people? Interesting. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever heard of this. And he's like, yeah, no, you're going to like treat them very nicely. And they're like, oh, wow, this is really new to me. And for Paul to make those statements, that was really world-changing at the time. Um, but another reason I think he didn't just outright ban it explicitly is that in order to do that in a Roman Empire, it wasn't just like Paul saying, hey, guys, you should go vote differently. Um, what would have happened is they would have needed to revolt. They would have needed a violent revolution um, to change the laws, and there were slave revolts all throughout the Roman Empire, and the slaves never won. Uh, I'll just give you that much. That over and over again, as they tried to revolt, as they tried to fight for freedom, the Roman Empire crushed them very quickly, and they were very weary of slave revolts taking place, and so they would take out anyone who even hinted at it. Um, you can go watch the movie Spartacus, um, and you can hear about that, and you can learn a bit about that, right? You know the story, Arms Spotkiss, that's the same thing taking place. They're like, yeah, we can fight for freedom. And the Roman government's like, nope, poke. And so what Paul did instead was he said, well, we're not going to take it from this top-down movement. He said, we're going to let the gospel change hearts. We're going to let the gospel change hearts, and this fire is going to start from the ground up. And the story of history is that it did. The story of history is that it did change hearts. Slaves were free. So knowing this is the context, um, really understand what Paul is calling to here, right? Really understand his teaching in Ephesians, where you would have in the room together, like your picture of like the worst, most evil like plantation owner that you can imagine, sitting right next to a slave who's not even treated like a human. And Paul instructs things like this. And I just wonder like what would Monday morning have been like that after Paul teaches, hey, you're going to love them, you're going to treat them well. And then the next day, hey boss, uh, you're going to obey Paul today? 
You just wonder. You just wonder. But that's what the Apostle Paul was teaching. That the call of Christ is quite clearly to treat everyone as you would treat Jesus himself. Places like Rome, Colossae, places like here today, that's going to cause, Monday morning, that's going to cause our week to look very different. That's going to cause us to treat one another very differently than how we currently do. That is what the Apostle Paul is getting to here in the book of Philemon by telling him to welcome him, to love him. This is a crazy idea, but it's what he's calling him to. And he makes this appeal, he says, on the basis of love. It was in verse 8 that he said, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, and I think we can agree Paul didn't have a boldness problem, he wasn't afraid to be bold. He, seems to have said what he thought was right all through the Bible. Um, he's, or, you know, not going to be bold. And he's essentially saying, I could treat you like a slave and be your boss. I'm not going to do that. He says, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, he's, you know, using this endearing term, the son of the faith, my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Now he's become useful to both you and to me. Paul is making a bit of a pun here, because the name Onesimus means useful. And as we talked about with some of the guys in Romans 16, slaves are often just given names like numbers, or just said useful. Um, and what Paul is saying is that useful had become useless to you, and he's useful. Okay. Making a little pun. Maybe he's using humor to soften the fun up here. Um, but either way, he says, I'm sending him who's my very heart, he's saying, like, I love him, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel, but that's not the restoration that God's calling us to. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, be voluntary. He goes, in verse 21, he says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And so notice in here the basis of Paul's appeal. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't order him. He doesn't force him to do it. He says on the basis of love, he does. And I think we can notice in there the voice of God. Well, good force you to obey me three days a week. But essentially, I want you to want to. Know that you could just walk around, be a robot like this. I want a changed heart. I want this to be something that's done out of love, not just out of duty. I want you to know that this call comes from love, and that's why the response be love. I think the voice of Paul here in Philemon is very similar to the voice of God. You to me. Because when it comes to loving others, when it comes to being the church God has called us to be, I think it has to come from that place of love. It has to um, because we want to. Um, it must not be done just out of duty. Gotta, you know, hang out with Micah. I have to be nice to Chris because Jesus said so. It has to come from a place of love. A place of delight. Wanting to please God and wanting to love others. So the whole story here, I think, it would change dramatically if Paul didn't make the same. If Paul just said, you're going to do this because I told you to do this. Could you imagine if Philemon, he was going to receive um, Onesimus back, you know, with a frown on his face, with a grudge against him. 
fine, he's my brother now. Or fine, I'll welcome him as the Apostle Paul. Hey, Apostle Paul, plow that field. You know, like, if he would have done it begrudgingly, not out of love, not changed heart from the gospel, I think the impact on the world would have been very, very different, right? But I think the fact that we've saved it, the fact that we look at it, and the fact that Christianity throughout history has been eliminating slavery over and over again, I think it's pretty clear that he didn't do this out of just grudging obligation. I think he did do this out of love. I think this is a really important thing to see here, is that Paul is concerned with is Philemon's spiritual growth, his heart. He would do it out of love, not just obeying orders, not just forcing his hand there. This is something that I think we must understand in our own lives as well. Follow God from this place of delight, of love, of delighting ourselves in this. Actually, seeing God's ways as good. Not just because there's going to be a consequence. Because the reality is, we can just make out a whole lot and he doesn't give us a lot of consequences. Pretty nice, but it doesn't make for a lot of motivation to us that feel like we need some motivation. What he's saying here is, I want you to want to. I want you to do this out of love. Out of love. There are plenty of other religious movements throughout history who have not given this kind of flexibility. But Jesus is different. You let people walk away. He asked his disciples over and over again, do you love me? He didn't force anyone here. When it comes to loving one another, when it comes to being the church he's called us to be, I think you have to understand that as well. You can't, especially I don't ever want to, just decide, hey, you know, this is the ministry that we're going to do. This is the thing that you guys are going to do. All right, good little soldiers, go out and do it. Especially, can you imagine, like, fellowship that Luke and you guys have talked about, the kind of love for one another, you know that the people who have cared for you, the people who have prayed for you, the people who have served you have done it because they love you. It'd be very different if it's like, oh, well, they're just like obeying the pastor. They're just like doing what we're supposed to do here. Because we know that's not what Jesus is asking. So I think this is a good reminder for us here. It's a good reminder for us here. True communities, I come from this place of love. I think there's a healthy sense of responsibility that we should have. You know, okay, there's right and there's wrong, and we should do it, even though we don't feel like it. But, not to do it begrudgingly. Understand this, this joy, the goodness that it is. That there truly is goodness in not putting someone to death because we feel them as property. Understand that. Yet there's still this call to do so out of love. That any act of obedience that we do for God, I think, should motivate love. That's what we see here. Paul is saying. Paul is saying that here. And then Paul says, this third appeal, kind of the third part of this, is he says, charge any debt that he has to me. Um, so it's big enough that he told him, hey, you are going to welcome him, you're going to love him, no one's going to force you to, you're actually going to do it. You want to, out of delight, not duty. That's big enough already. And then Paul, he puts himself into the story. He says, you can charge his debt to me. And in verse 19, it looks like Paul must have taken the quill out of the writer's hand, and he says, I write this with my own hand, right? So it will be legally binding. I will pay whatever he owes, right? Whatever he owes, I will repay. And then Paul says, not to mention, you owe me your very self, even though he does mention it, which is also <laughs> um, But here Paul is offering to pay him back. 
And he doesn't tell us necessarily what Onesimus owes. Um, we know some, and we kind of speculate on others. Um, no matter what, if Onesimus had run away, he was supposed to be working, now he's not working. Philemon's lost productivity. It's been wage theft, at the very least. And so we know, because of that, um, there would be you know, punishments. If you were to like, harbor a runaway slave, then the slave owner could come after you for all the money they lost out of lost productivity. So we know, at the very least, he was owed that. Um, but most also speculate that in order for Onesimus to travel from Colossae in like, western Turkey all the way to Rome, where Paul was, then it's possible maybe he stole a thing or two or a coin or two in order to pay for his travels. Because I don't think he had much money to his name. For a slave like Onesimus to make it to Rome, it's possible he stole something to pay for that trip. And so, this poor guy needs some help. Uh, he's got a debt that he would never be able to pay off, not with his salary. But Paul, clearly, with Philemon's respect, and Paul clearly with love for Onesimus, he steps in, he has Onesimus' back. And I think he makes the statement to Philemon, he's like, okay, I get, maybe Philemon's a really justice-minded person to say, well, it doesn't matter, the law's the law, he broke the law, he owes me money, I've, I'm the one who's been wronged, and Paul says, hey, I get it, I get that the finances hurt, I get that loving our brothers and sisters hurts. Paul steps in, doesn't make it as easy as possible. He's saying, I get it, following Jesus is not cheap, so if there's anything he owes, treasure to me. Treasure to me, he says. I think this is more than just Paul caring for Onesimus and having his back. I think this is a really intentional picture of what God has done for us. In this story is really the picture of Jesus on the cross. Is being welcomed by God, partnering with God. Um, that can't actually happen for us without the gap that exists between humanity and God being filled. Without the debt we owe God being paid. Yet Jesus stepped in, reconciled us together, reconciled our accounts, paid off our debt, that we could have restoration, so that we could be in relationship with God again. Paul here is taking on that role. He's acting like Jesus in a very real way. And we know that Jesus over and over again said, they will know you're my followers by your love for one another. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. Paul very literally did that. This is like a great opportunity to show Jesus' love and the fact that he actually showed, like reconciliation, paying off debt. Maybe some of us will have those opportunities that are just so explicit. Um, but some of the times it won't be quite as explicit where we'll be able to see, hey, look at the connection to the cross. <laughs> but nonetheless, what Paul shows is that in the family of God, all these relationships getting restored, that the treatment of one another is being treatment like Christ. We can't just say, all right, if I leave it on this, this is your issue, you guys figure this out. But Paul, much like Jesus, entered himself into the story. He's going to do whatever he could to see this restoration. Even at cost to him. He knew what Jesus did for him. He knew what Jesus would do in this situation. He stepped in. He stepped in. So what we have here, the human metaphor, so it does fall a little short, because God's not like a mystery slave owner. But still, we see have the picture of Christ here. The picture of Christ, that he can charge it to me, for his own. That's what Jesus did for us. That's Paul's vision. 
So the church is a family. Is a family that lives out, quite literally, the gospel. Here is a real-world example of how you can forgive as you've been forgiven. Here's a real-life example of how you can repent, even though you've got plenty of reason to run away and do what you did. Still not 100% right. You still have to own your sin. And even though this relationship is nasty and seems like it has no hope, there's restoration. Very possible. We have all that packed in to this little story. This is the gospel. This is how it plays out. My church family, like ours. The nature of this love, welcoming one another, of doing it out of delight, and of taking on responsibility, sometimes even payment for them. Change the way we do church. Change the way that we interact with one another. See throughout history. Change the world. So today, as we see this picture of the gospel in action take place, we're also going to take communion. And if the story of Philemon is the application of all the theology, well, communion is an application as well. This is an act of faith. This is entering into the story. Jesus' body beaten and bloodshed. We believe that. So we come before these elements that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. We apply that. And it's act of faith, trusting your body did take the punishment for us, that your blood did wash us clean. So that's one of the beautiful things that we see with communion, just with the way that Jesus works. He teaches us. He gives us the knowledge. And it gives us a chance to live. And so I'm going to invite you um, to grab uh, the elements here. We have two stations in the front, and there's one in the back there. But would you just grab the bread and the wine and the cup and return to your seats, and then we will participate in this together.
this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
blessing as you go. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts.